Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 40. Fleet, did you know that we'd made it 40 episode deep, episodes deep at this point? I do because I added them. But. Oh, okay. Andy, Andy certainly didn't know, and if he did know, he'd, he'd already forgotten. Guys, we, guess we what? We've got to talk mo- about Multiply how- by two, and that's Andy's age. We've got to talk about how you butcher my language. I mean, it's not 40, it's 40. 40. I thought it was farty, but... Uh, um, guys, guess what? You are in for a treat. Andy, it's now 7.30 a.m. Uh, Central Time. Andy's been up since 3 a.m. prepping these jokes that he's about to lay off on us. And you'll, you'll see it in his speech patterns as, as the episode wears on, I'm sure. And I've been drinking. And he's been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that one is new. <laughs> well, w- welcome back. We are going to Andy dig wouldn't in. take a shot at my wedding. He, yeah, so he did, upset. didn't he? No. He didn't? No, we oh. all did, but he didn't. <laughs> he just pretended. He was like, I'm, I'm not game fit, boys. Guys, I can't do it. Fit. Look at this temple. I can't put alcohol in this body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back again from whatever corner of the United States or corner of the world you hail from. It's been a fun last week. I've, I think I've received emails from three or four different countries and a few different states across the United States of listeners asking questions, wanting to engage, um, which is which is definitely a, a bright spot for, for Andy and I. Um, I don't know if Philippe gets emails. It's probably appropriate if he doesn't, to be completely honest. Um, but, I actually uh, do. I actually do. I had a couple... Uh uh, these past two weeks as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, it's always good fun. It's always good fun. So, and Philippe's got a big game tonight for his 2009s in in St. Louis, right? St. Louis, yes. He's driving across the state here after we record. Um, hopefully, if his team gets a result, they make it to USYSA Nationals for the 2009. So, big deal for sure. Yeah, for sure. We need to to get a tie. Hopefully, we'll we'll get a win because I'm Brazilian. I can't just. Go in for a tie. Yeah, yeah. I was just assuming you were going to tell the kids yeah, to, ba- to bosh it long. No. That was going to be the strategy no. for tonight, no? Go for a high press <laughs> like crazy. Go at them. They want to win the game 5-4. <laughs> bosh it long. That, that takes me back to my youth. That takes you back to your youth, yeah. <laughs> Andy, I'm sure you've got some jokes lined up. Have I? Have I? You never tell me what they're about, so I don't know how to segue into them. Well, you know, the, this is about... You know, maestro magic, right? So this is about magic. So these jokes are about wizards and magic and, you know, and all, all sorts of good stuff like that. that so. Well, so that's a good lead in to what we're going to talk about today is the prefakes that lead up to um, the maestro skills that we teach, which create space at a, at a level un, unseen before. Um, they're uh, magic for sure. So Andy, tell me about the wizard jokes that you've got. Okay, so the first one is, what do you call a, a magician who has lost his magic? Andy? Ian. Magician, I-A-N of the last three letters, Ian. <laughs> I, I don't actually get it. <laughs> the, word magician the word magician spells magic plus Ian, so uh, take okay. magic out okay. and it's Ian. Oh my God, are you really Did you that write that? Dumb? <laughs> Did you, you really write get that? It? No, hold on, let's deal with you didn't get it. 
And I even explained it, and you still didn't get it. Because <laughs> where he's from, Ian spelled with Y, not with I. Yeah, I know. I was, I, you know, like somebody's going to tell a joke, you prepare yourself to laugh, and so like I was in the humor section of my brain, well, and I just missed it all together. Let's move on. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. This what is really good. Podcasting. What do you call a wizard who walks everywhere on bare feet, has poor bone density, and really bad breath? Andy, a supercalloused, fragile mystic hexed by halitosis. <laughs> because of the supercalous, I don't get it. Like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Like I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's a supercalloused, fragile mystic hexbihalitosis. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's the actual meaning of the word. I, I think guess. so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's here's a good one. Right? I mean, these are the worst. <laughs> like ever brought to the table. <laughs> Hopefully, this doesn't foreshadow how the episode plays out. An Englishman and a Brazilian walk into a bakery. The Brazilian steals three buns and puts them into his pockets and leaves, as they do in Brazil. And he says to the English guy, that took great skill and guile to steal those buns. The owner didn't even see me do it. The English guy replied, that's just simple thievery. I'll show you how to do it the honest way and get the same results. The Englishman then proceeded to call out the owner of the bakery and said, sir, I want to show you a magic trick. The owner was intrigued, so he came over to see the magic trick, and the Englishman asked him for a bun and proceeded to eat it. He asked two more times, and after eating the other two, the owner says, Okay, my friend, where's the magic trick? The English guy said, Look in the Brazilian's pockets. <laughs> okay, that was pretty funny. <laughs> but he didn't get it. <laughs> I, I actually I actually understood the joke like minute one. <laughs> so what did well, he do what did he do when he looked in his pocket? Uh, I, joke's over. Okay. Oh joke's yeah. over. Okay. Well, I enjoyed that one, I wanted more. I, I wasn't ready for it to finish. All right, what do you call a magician at thirty thousand feet? A flying sorcerer? What do you call a wizard that always falls over when fouled? Tumbledore. What do you call a wizard who's really bad at deceptive dribbling? Ian. Stumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) It's not funny. It's It's so bad that it's what, What do you call a wizard you can't understand? I don't know. Mumbledore. A wizard that avoids the spotlight. Spottledore. Humbledore. <laughs> a miserable old wizard. Grumbledore. <laughs> These aren't funny, Billy. <laughs> you got me going. <laughs> I, 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 can we move on? Uh, no, no, no. This one's for you, Philippe. This is the best of the lot. It's my favorite. Philippe's wife, Shelby, goes to see a wizard, wizard and says... Can you lift a curse that a priest put on me last year? Maybe, says the wizard. Can you remember the exact words of the curse? Yes, she replies. I pronounce you man and wife. <laughs> I'm I'm really curious to look at the stats of these episodes now in hindsight, thinking about the jokes. Like, do people just hit fast forward for the first five minutes? 
and to quickly get to the stuff. Because when people email or reach out, they never, never ask for questions about the jokes or help in terms of humor or laughter. It's always specific to the game. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing any more epo- episodes unless you humor me on these. <laughs> well, maybe let's we can, cha- trick, him. Let, maybe we let, can trick him to get the jokes make, out and then hit record. Let's, let's make a joke challenge next week. Uh, Andrew needs to bring the jokes. I, but I, I don't bring jokes. The only joke I remember is the one you told us as kids about um, Dan Quayle and George Bush. Yeah, we don't need it. I don't think that. that fits on this episode. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, welcome to Coaching Inside the Box, where we do actually talk soccer, talk coaching, talk philosophy, um, and talk coaching curriculum. Um, uh, actually, a- an area that we hear from often, both from parents in our club. Um, we talk about a lot with coaches in our club. Obviously, it's a, it's a piece of um, uh, our, our training regimen. Andy's leading an entire maestro series for kids that can make it to Andy's specific session. And, and, and maestro just in general is kind of been a big platform or a big uh, focal point for us for since COVID, really. I think it started in COVID. Um, and the the, the most relevant parts of or the, the, the part that, that is most uh, is key for me as a coach is the pre-fake that exists within the maestro skills. Um, Andy, when, when, when you talk about the pre-fake, what, how do you introduce it to parents and to kids? Well, there's actually a stage that, that is very important before the pre-fake. So there's, there's the setup. And you know, the setup phase can be as simple as dribbling towards um, you know, one side of the opponent to open up the space that you're going to eventually exploit, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. So you, know, you, you have to actually think ahead and you have to take the defender where you want to take them in order to create the space that that then the pre-fake makes available to you, you know, if, you know, as I said, if that makes sense. It, well, it does. I think oftentimes, and for listeners, I think oftentimes, certainly for me as a coach, when I first coached, started out, it was like, okay, we're going to learn the Maradona. Okay, now we're going to learn the scissors. Okay, now we're going to learn the Matthews, right? And it was just the process of learning the actual components of the skill. And it took me a few years before I started then during my skill part of my session, talking to the kids about where in which they're going to dribble to create space for this. So I oftentimes would talk about um, the scissors move being best used when you're dribbling at somebody's nose. So my kids learn nose to nose. Or I oftentimes talk about from the Maradona, you're dribbling at their shoulder, right? You want to actually get them to move one direction before you perform the skill. And Maestro took that up a notch because it wasn't just the discussion of the setup, but then it had the prefake attached to it, and then the actual skill. Yeah, it's 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 quite interesting actually because I don't think this has been conceptualized by dribbling coaches. You know, I, I think this is actually a, a world first. You know, this is something that's uh, incredibly original uh, to our program and. Uh, you know, in, in backing up, uh, you know, I, I've coached the moves for 40 years plus, you know, and and I just used to coach moves. So I would teach, you know, as I taught you when you were a kid, you know, I would teach the Maradona turn. And the start of the Maradona turn was when you pulled the ball back. Correct. You know, and so there was there was no setup. There was no pre-fake. 
you know, I'd say, hey, watch this, guys. You know, and then I would do a, probably a pretty bad demonstration because I was never a great deceptive dribbler as a player. You know, and, uh, and then you guys would copy me, would emulate, you know, what I'd shown you. And, you know, and, and that was it, you know. And then I would just have you doing Maradona turns. And I, I wouldn't extrapolate the Maradona turn into, hey, this is where you use it on the field. This is how you set it up. And this is how you do a pre-fake to get the player to do what you want the player to do. And this is where this gets really interesting because if you just do a Maradona turn, who's in control? The, the defender. The defender. Because they're determining the space that's available or not available or what, what it might be. Right. And if I'm a really intelligent defender and I'm jockeying and I'm delaying, I've got my weight on the back foot, I'm quarter turned, you know, and you know, I'm pushing the opponent to their weak foot instead of giving them any options on their strong foot, then I don't give them the chance maybe to use the scissors or the Maradona turn or the Cruyff turn. Because, you know, even if they do, I'm going to be first to the ball. Yeah. Because, you know, I was, you know, biding my time, doing all the right things, protecting the space between me and my goal, you know, and, and all the things that I did as a left fullback, you know, and I was lucky enough to make the British Colleges team as the top left fullback in the whole of the British Isles, you know, when I was in phys ed school, you know, and so this was my expertise, you know, and so I'd spend the whole game feeling that I had the forward I was marking in my pocket. You know, and the forward that I was marking rarely used any moves, number one. And if they did, it was just the move. It wasn't a setup, but it wasn't a pre-fake. It was just the move. And with the setup and pre-fake, the whole onus of control is changed from the defender who's jockeying and delaying. If they're doing a good job, jockeying, delaying, channeling, making the opponent predictable, allowing their teammates to cover the right areas, etc. All that changes to where now it's the dribbler that's in control because the dribbler takes the ball where he or she wants to go. You know, the dribbler, that's the setup. The dribbler then does a pre-fake, you know, that, that panics the heck out of the defender and makes the defender react and, and block off the avenue that the prefate was designed to make the defender think that the attacker was going into. You know? And then, of course, when the fake happens, you've now taken the defender the way the defender shouldn't have gone. You know, you've now done the prefake, and the defender has panic and, uh, panicked and reacted you know, to the prefake and stepped in the direction that you, the attacker wanted the defender to step into and now when the actual move occurs which is very deceptive as well now the move is multiple times more effective and the attacker has greater degrees of separation coming out of the move than the attacker ever would have had if he or she had just done the move so you know that setup that pre-fake and then the move is devastated and there's five stages that are absolutely devastating in the move because you've got the setup, the pre-fake, the move, the explosion, and then you've got to put a penetrating pass or ideally a, a goal-scoring shot yeah. on the end of that. So there's five phases that we teach in our progression here. And, you know, lots of coaches never even teach a move. You know, but if you really want to move to be effective, you've got to switch the locus of control from the defender to the attacker. 
so that the attacker always has control of the scenario, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. As I think back to my days playing, I think Philippe will probably connect with this as well um, uh, or have his own perspective. But for me, having learned all of the skills, right? And at the time, right, we didn't teach, you know, the maestro skills. We taught the maestro skills on steroids, way too many. We taught, what is it, 12 different skills you taught me, Andy, going both directions. So 24 different skills is what I learned as a kid. It boiled down to ah, five or six that I was really comfortable with using under pressure, you know, playing in high school and then eventually in college. But as a dribbler, it was always intuitive reaction. It was, I've got the ball, I'm in this space. Oh, this is what the defender's giving me. This is the skill for that 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 opportunity. And the problem with that, my 23, I shared a clip on our social media this past week. My 2013s played in a tournament across the weekend. And in the first half, we went down 1-0. In the second half, um, uh, we had the win behind us. And the other team literally could not get out of their, their end at all, right? It's, nine, it's 99 we're playing. But they were packed in and they were good I mean they're a year older than us good disciplined strong defenders and we just couldn't break through we couldn't create um, uh, we couldn't put the ball in the back of the net and but it turned into a scenario where my players dribblers right kept trying to force skill in to, to beat two or three defenders because they were so tight in, in space and it wasn't until eventually somebody got a moment where they could set up and then use a prefake to create some space to put the ball in the back of the net. I don't think I would have been able to do it as, as a player because I was too reactive. I had to react with skill to whatever the defenders gave me. I couldn't set up and, and, and choose the direction the defender was going to go like our maestro skilled players, like Holly could, right? Um, or Jake Hanna did over the weekend in all the videos that we saw of Jake. I think one of the things that when coaches other places teach skill, uh, you see across the world. The, usually the players that use more skill are the players that play on the wings, they're fast, or they're attacking players uh, that have that speed. And, you know, the coaches kind of see, you know, those fast players as the players that are the 1v1 players, the risk takers, right? So they stimulate those players to do skill. But again, without the prefix, without the setups, but they're fast. So they do the move works probably 30, 40% maybe of the level of uh, effectiveness that it could have if they had the setups and the prefix. But because the player is fast, they do a scissor, throw the defenders a little bit off balance, explode past them. But then they look at the players that are slow and they're like, okay, this kid is slow, so they're going to play more simple. They're going to play center mid, one touch, two touch. With the setups and the prefix, it doesn't matter. If the player is fast, obviously, if Correct. the player is fast, it's sure. always going to help, right? They're going to explode and get to the ball much faster. But the setup and the prefix gives the chance for every single player, regardless of their uh, speed and their athleticism, to be skillful, to be creative, because it's so deceptive. You're throwing the defender so much one way doing it to set up then you're doing a pre-fake which will throw them that way even more and then you're gonna do something really good because you're trained and you're gonna explode somewhere else so it gives it extra room for those players that don't have the same uh, attributes from a physical perspective to be skillful as well so i think it's it's the game changer for sure and again and the fast players will have even more advantage because they're gonna gain even more advantage
So well, talking about the 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 mature the maturing of our philosophy, right, or of our approach to teaching these skills. Yeah, Andy, I remember as a kid you teaching us the scissors, right, and then having us work on the the double scissors, right. And when we worked on the double scissors, there was no the coaching point was quick, 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 right, get in, out, in, out, and explode. And there was never any discussion for me as a kid. Make your first scissors slow, right? Make it a a, a, a bad or a not perfect fast scissors to set up the defender so the second one can explode. Whereas now with Maestro, we talk specifically with the kids about that first scissors is meant to make the defender think, oh, I've got him. I've got him right where I want him. And then we hit that second scissors at speed and explode by him and leave the defender um, uh, in the dust. And, and just to clarify, the first scissors is not just slow. It's actually performed technically incorrectly, poorly. correct? Poorly. Yeah. So, so it's it's slow and it's not convincing because you know it's also badly done. You know, if you're really trying to fake the defender out. Yep. You know, and and because of those two things. The defender is saying, ah, I'm not falling for that one. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you this know, before. Hey, I'm no sucker. <laughs> you know, and, but what they don't realize is that while they're saying, hey, I'm no sucker, they're actually saying, I'm going for the next one. Mm. If you do a fake now, because you know, you know, what you've done is psychologically you set them up to really believe in a good scissors. You know, so when you do the next scissors, which mm. is the true fake, you know, to the direction you're not going in, mm -hmm. you know, then they bite like crazy, you know, and it's so easy to beat them because you did a poor scissors on the first one. So the double scissors actually increases the effectiveness of the move mm -hmm. because it sets them up psychologically to really bite on the good scissors. Yeah. So one terrible scissors, one perfect scissors with a wide slice in sidestep and a, a shoulder turn and drop, you know, so you put the opposite shoulder in the hip pocket and the defender just runs out of your way. Yeah. You know, because psychologically you've leveraged their belief that, you know, you were, you know, you were priming them mm -hmm. for the real thing, you know, and you were priming them and then you were priming them. Yeah, but yeah. they didn't realize that they were primed and primed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they thought they were just being primed. Yeah. yeah if, that, if that makes sense. Or you, or you can do Brazilian style, get the ball and do eight scissors in front of the guy and their brain is just going to melt. And then you can just do <laughs> like, whatever you want. Like Revolta or Ronaldinho. What was, it, what was the guy from the 90s? Robinho. Robinho used to do oh, scissors. He used to do it. Oh, he's yeah. the, the best one ever. Yeah. No, 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 no question. No, no. Pog... Um, uh, what's the kid who played for us that that did seven in a row? Oh, Lucky, Lucky, Lucky. Yeah, that, lucky. that clip's a good clip. His nickname's Pogba. But, you know, the, yeah. um, so Lucky did seven in a row, brilliant scissors, yeah. and then exploded past the defender and buried it in the top corner of the net. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was the best scissors sequence I've ever seen in my life, and it was the highest, you know, premier level. So the, this wasn't as though he was playing against a ten-year-old. Yeah. You know, and you know he was seventeen at the time. You know, and so you know it was just an incredible piece of skill it's and, my favorite skill by far yeah. i love it and and we we do things you know if if you're you know you people are interested you know i've got a you know a, a, a whole tape that you know like a few tapes of videos that philippe made of you know, my daughter holly doing you know move after move after move yeah you know on, on the you know these tapes 
you know, and these are moves that, you know, drag Maradona's, for example, that other people, you know, just have never seen, you know, and they've never occurred outside of our club, yeah. you know, because of all the pre-fake involvement, yep. that, you know, in, in, in doing a drag Maradona, you yep. know, that setup and the pre-fake. This is, this is, dare I say it, and somebody's going to try and prove me wrong, and I'd love to, you know, uh, to, to see it if you've got it. Find me a clip anywhere in the world of somebody doing a drag Maradona. I've been searching for decades, and I've not seen anybody doing a drag Maradona the whole time. I've seen people doing Maradonas, no drag Maradonas, and certainly no drag Maradonas with, you know, a setup and a prefake. Sure. Yeah, I just haven't seen it. Yeah, and yeah. And, and so that clip that of Holly that Philippe created, um, I have we've never shared it on Coaching Inside the Box socials, but we'll share it this week. Um, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, uh, so that you can see Holly in action. I, I love to see the, the most dramatic maestro skill that we teach with the prefake that just totally leaves the defender for dust uh, is um, is is the drag Maradona because the whole concept of it is is your dragging the ball to pull the defender out of the space you want to exploit and so when a kid successfully completes that like the defender's in perfect position and you bait them to leave that perfect position so that you can exploit that perfect position and you see you know Jay Canna is, what is he he's probably what 10 or 11 do it numerous times over this past weekend like it's just so fun to watch magicians 10 year old magicians at work uh, with the ball at their feet and so the, the interesting story with Jake Hanna is that that um, I turned up to run my maestro session on on uh, Thursday night and the first one has always been poorly attended and it being spring break you know I had nobody there so I wandered over to Michael's practice and and I actually pulled Jake out, out of, of out of Michael Hanna's practice. And Michael, for those that are listening, used to play for me as a kid and is one of our coaches now. And it's his son now that, that yep. is in the practice. So, you know, we go back a long way. And he said, sure, go take him. You know, I'd love for him to, you know, to, to learn what you're doing. And I, I took Jake, who could do the Maradona, mm -hmm. but had never done a drag Maradona. Mm -hmm. And I took him into a soccer box. And, you know, I showed him how he was allowed only four touches where the first touch it goes straight into the drag. So it's a combination of a receiving touch, a controlling touch, and the, the setup for the drag Maradona. You know? And so, so I, I, I showed him that first touch you know, that sets up the, you know, the, the Maradona turn, you know, and is a combination of receiving and drag. And, you know, he was terrible at it. You know, when I first showed it, it was just terrible. <laughs> How long doing ago that. was that? Oh, this is just a couple of weeks ago. It's last week. Oh, jeez. You know, so this was, you know, this was literally uh, Thursday of, you know, the before the previous weekend. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, uh, but after, and he only had four rounds and the four minute rounds I did with him, you know, so the first round was terrible. Second round, appreciably better. Third round, because you do a good good Maradona mm -hmm. and the drag is not rocket science he yeah. starts to look good it just takes a minute to figure it out fourth round he starts looking really good and so there's four touches he does the drag with the first touch the first pullback in the Maradona with the second touch the second pullback in the Maradona with the third touch and then in our boxes you hit it front wall side wall so you got to hit the corner of the front wall mm -hmm. if it's the center panel you know, it doesn't count as a point you have to hit the outside panel and then the side wall immediately and you get a point you know, and by the fourth 
you know, round by, you know, starting at the 12th minute in to the 16th minute in, he starts hitting sequences where he's doing four or five without messing up at a time of these drag Maradonas, you know. And then he says, look, I've got to go back to my dad's practice, you know, and, uh, and I say, hey, great, you know, see if you can use it in the practice. And he goes straight into his dad's practice and straight away he uses it. You know, it was so fresh in his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He picked it up so quickly because he could already do a good Maradona. Sure. And the other part is not rocket science. So, you know, fast forward two days later in a game, you know, and he literally completely set up the defender. He does a massive in drag on a pre-fake. You know, so the defender's already put in the, the position that Jake wanted him in on the basis of the setup. And then Jake does this fantastic drag with his left foot. The defender bites, and Jake goes around him like he didn't exist. And the kid didn't come within two, three feet of the ball. You know, and the whole thing was like the perfect, um, you know, final chapter to this brief sequence. <laughs> Of getting into the box and doing, and what what people don't understand is you get in a box for four minutes, it's two thousand touches. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it really is un- incredible. It's it's like he trained for two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's you know, it was drag Maradona on drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he got into a game and he just started doing them. He did like five or six in this one game. Yeah. You know, and and just destroyed people every time with the drag Maradona. So from this point onwards, Mike said he's just been practicing at home and practicing because all of a sudden. It's taken him from really, really good to superstar yeah. within his group, yep. you know, and so he's gone crazy on practicing the drag Maradona, you know. So this is if you can do the Maradona turn, you've got to start doing the setup in the prefate. Mm-hmm. You've got to start doing that that drag, you know, to well, actually the directional play to get the defender to turn, and then the drag which gets the defender to completely turn their hips. And take a step in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So this is really interesting. And we talked earlier about the locus of control. Because I have a clip that, you know, I will share to my Facebook and hopefully we can I, I share it. I put it on Coaching Inside the Box. Yeah, yeah, we can put it on Coaching Inside the Box. And I want the audience to watch this clip from this perspective. You know, and it's a great clip of Holly doing a reverse drag Maradona, which is the most difficult way to do the drag Maradona because it's almost a complete reverse with very little rotation, not like the normal Maradona where there's a significant amount of rotation. And in this clip, Holly is actually playing high school soccer when she's a freshman. And so she's playing against another team with seniors on it, you know, kids that, you know, play in ECNL and, you know, and other, you know, higher levels of soccer and for, for the best teams around Kansas City. And in this one section of this clip, though, she's actually playing against her Kansas City Legends teammate, a year older, because Holly always played up a year. And she's playing against her teammate and an opponent because the other team is double teaming her. So they, you know, they had two people following her around, including her teammate with the Legends, you know, who had obviously been given that assignment because she knew Holly. And so their hope was that that you know her teammate could negate Holly's ability. Or she'd, she'd see the body cues before anybody else would. Exactly, yep. exactly right. And so she's been she's been followed around by these two people, and she she gets the ball and she does a setup, which I didn't capture on the video. And uh, and so she does a setup. She always loved to do a sole of the foot Cruyff. Don't ask me why, 
but you know she just this is you know kids develop their own idiosyncrasies and so she does this setup that causes the defenders to be left half a yard behind you know because of the setup and then she goes straight from the setup touch into the drag of the drag maradona and this is where it gets really interesting so she does this about five to six foot drag a really long drag with the inside of the right foot you know and now for the first time ever last week, I started focusing not on Holly doing what she was doing. I watched the two defenders. And it, it was like an episode of Dancing with the Stars. Because the two defenders, I'm not kidding, did exactly the same thing when Holly did her things. So, you know, as Holly did um, the, the started the drag, you know, their, all their feet and their body and their lean and the position was exactly the same. And as she continued the drag, you know, one of their legs crossed another leg in the direction of the drag, but it was exactly the same. And then, you know, Holly then starts to reverse out with the drag, with the actual Maradona, and the two defenders turned, you know, and looked over their shoulder, you know, in exactly the same way. In fact, Sophia, the player that plays with Holly, reacted a bit quicker because she'd seen Holly do this a thousand times, but she was still far too late to do anything about it, you know, and the other player at that point in time broke with the complete mirror sequence that they, they had for a moment together, you know, and, but it, it, was, it was almost funny because this was, and, and anybody that checks on, our, you know, on this clip is going to realize when they watch this how much the locus of control changed from what is normally the defender control in the narrative to Holly, the attacker, was controlling the narrative because she was puppeteering those two defenders. They did exactly what she wanted them to do, which was start to move in the direction of the drag, you know, drop their, you know, their upper body so they were sprinting that way, and then take that fatal step to where the hips were completely turned. As soon as those hips turn. That's it, to get goal side, you know, so that when she reversed, they didn't have any answer. Mm. And she, she got separation that was ungodly, mm-hmm. you know, from two people double-teaming her and pressuring her, you know, and you have to see it to believe it. You know, it was just incredible separation that she achieved, but she literally joysticked them the whole time. Yeah. She marionetted those two defenders, you know, and, and Sophia had seen this, which is the frightening thing, and all Holly's teammates fell for it again and again and again. Sophia had seen this thousands of times in practice and been the victim of it hundreds and hundreds of times in practice. You know, so Sophia could have stopped right at the start of this move and told you exactly what was going to happen. And this is the scary thing. In the moment where the, the amount of time available is so tiny, you know, you don't have a chance to think it through, even though you know it's going to happen, you just react. And this is where, and this is why, you know, I wanted to title this, this episode Maestro Magic is because what happens apparently is we've all got this um, conditioned response syndrome in us. You know, we, we, we have pre- preconceived notions of what is going to happen about things that have occurred regularly in our lives. And the best example is when you see a juggler juggling, you know, and, you know, and they make a ball disappear. 
you know, and it's such a simple trick, but it works every time. So they're juggling like this. And as they're juggling and they're throwing one ball up, they're catching another ball down low. And really quickly, they put the other ball underneath their thigh because it's a sponge ball. So they catch the ball down here. They put the ball underneath their thigh, you know, and then they throw their hand up again with no ball in it. You know what the audience sees? A disappearing ball. They see, a, they see a ball going up. Yeah. They, they actually, in their mind's eye, they believe they're actually seeing a ball yep. that no longer exists, you know, on the upswing because it's underneath the, you know, the juggler's thigh. They think they see a ball going up. And this has been scientifically proven, you know, that you can argue black and blue with these people that are watching this trick and they can actually they say, I saw the ball start to rise and then it disappeared in midair. And that's why the trick works. And it's worked a million it's times for jugglers. Illusion. It's it's an illusion, and this is what this is what we're doing is we're creating illusions, and and it's fascinating because if you study it, illusions. There are numerous types of illusions: physical, visual, tactile, cognitive, optical, literal, psychosomatic, auditory, temporal. The list of of the illusions that magicians use is massive. And there's a whole slew of different ways to use these illusions. And I don't think this has ever been studied with regard to doing moves. Mm -hmm. you know, and so there's another factor when you come to do you know, this magical move thing is that for about one-eighth of a second, uh, the, the observer, in this case the defender, um, sees the ball continue to travel on its original path. Sure. Apparently, that's what happens in this juggling trick. They see the ball traveling on what they thought was the path that it was going to travel. Mm -hmm. And they actually see that this has been scientifically tested and proven that they actually see the ball traveling on that path for one-eighth of a second. That's a yard. And in that yard, you've turned your hips and you've gone, if you're the defender, you've gone the way that the attacker wanted you to go if that makes sense. And it, it's absolutely frightening the degree to which, you know, that happens. So, and this is, I, I wrote down some quotes, um, and, and this was from the psychosomatic illusion um, uh, description. So these are three good quotes to discuss in the Maestro Magic Pod. This is what I listed this as. Um, and this is the first one's a comedic one. Oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> Uh, this is by a guy called Tom Tucker, the family guy. I don't know if anybody knows who he is. I don't. Um, it's, he says, in sadder news, the man who held the Guinness World Record for most drugs ever done by a single human being died today. He was attacked by a pack of wild dogs he thought he saw. <laughs> 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 you know, a psychosomatic illusion, you know. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, this is, this is more to the point. Um, the guy b by the name of, once again, this is somebody that's involved in video games. So, you know, he's famous in his, in his arena. Um, Itachi Uchiha. Nailed it. <laughs> People live, rely on, and are blinded by their own knowledge and recognition. They call it reality. However, knowledge and recognition are ambiguous things, so their reality might well be an illusion. 
Everyone lives inside their assumptions, don't you think? And how true is that? Sure. We see the world as we are. We don't see the world as it is. You know, we can look at the same politician and half the country will hate him, half the country will love him. Half the country thinks he's a genius, half the country thinks he's an idiot. And so where's the reality lie? Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, and then, uh, I like this one, um, and the, the person that quoted this one is, is just listed as the regent of the mask, Ninja Gaiden. In the wreckage of paradise, where abandoned dreams lie, what can be more befitting than a mirage? And where is that currently applicable? I in didn't understand like four of these words, so <laughs> you're going to have to help me here. You lost me in Bolivius or something like that. <laughs> so in the wreckage of paradise where abandoned dreams lie, what can be more befitting than a mirage? Befitting. Befitting, you know, appropriate yeah. than, a, than, a, than a mirage. You know, and so think about, you know, where paradise existed um, and is now in a wreckage scenario in the world where abandoned dreams lie. Where am I talking about? You have to... I am... Where in the so world, where in the world is there now a wreckage in, in what was before, you know, a functioning society? Atlantis? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to apologize to the viewers here. I apologize for Philippe and Andrew. Is they're, they're I think so, they're probably, many of them are so in totally, the same boat. totally focused on soccer that they can't recognize I'm talking about Ukraine and Russia. Oh, okay. You know, so, well, I, I'm thinking we could probably come up with numerous examples. But, but, but I talked about right now. Okay, you know, the yeah, greatest yeah. example you know, is, is you know, in the wreckage of paradise, Ukraine, where abandoned dreams lie because people's dreams have just been shattered by this horrible war. You know, what can be more befitting than a mirage? And what, what are we talking about? Who is creating the mirage? I mean, Putin. Yeah. Putin. Yeah, he's putting out you not know, true it, things. It, sure. Absolutely, you know, through his media, you know, he's shutting down any independent reporting. A reporter got arrested just today yeah, from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah from the Wall Street Journal, yeah. and he, he's putting out an absolute mirage. You know, that is fooling the majority of Russians into supporting his war. You know, how scary is this? He's joysticking a whole population. To believe a bunch of garbage. And I think that's my worry for the sport, is if everybody starts doing the drag Maradona, how scary will that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember as, as, a, as a player, and um, so I was taking, and I think I've told you this story before, uh, I was taking my B license, my intermediate badge, the Welsh FA inter- B, intermediate badge when I was a phys ed student. There was 30 or 40 of guys. I organized the course. You know, because I wanted the qualification, so I organized the course, and they told me they needed a certain number of people, so I advertised it, and I ended up signing up way more than needed. And so we had 30 or 40 people at this first session, and one of the Welsh staff coaches was a guy called Gwen Williams, who later moved to California to work for British Soccer Camps, a company that I started, uh, and he lives in California now with his wife and four daughters. Um, and, And Gwen walked out on the field for the first session, and he started with, you know, I'm going to start with deceptive dribbling, you know, in a grid, you know, and he, he looked at the whole group and he said, um, out of all you guys, who is renowned to be the most aggressive, best defender? 
And everybody looked at me because I was playing left fullback for British colleges and I'd kill a forward rather than let them beat me, you know. And everybody looked at me and like pointed and said, Barney, you know. And so he, sh- he looked at me and he pointed at me and said, I'm just about to embarrass the hell out of you. You know, and I looked at him and said, no, you're not. You know, and anyway, he, he, he got out onto, into the, the grid, you know, and uh, somebody passed him a ball. He received it, shielding me off. And he gave me a forearm push, a little six-inch thing that was enough to make me see red. And he'd already upset me by getting in my head, by telling me he was going to embarrass me. So he pushed into me with his forearm. And then he did what I call a sucker croif, which is where he pushed, moved away, tapped the ball away from me on a diagonal, and then croifed me. And the ball actually went behind his big body because he's a pretty big, big guy. And so I couldn't see the ball for a split second as he was moving away. All I knew was I had him because he was moving away. But he was riding away while still leaning into me. So when he put his nearest foot down to me and croiffed the ball with his furthest foot and it went past me on this side, I was moving totally the wrong way. You know, so this is a move we teach now, the sucker croif, you know, um, which I used to call the tap and play behind the leg. <laughs> but sucker croif is better. I yeah, sucker like croif is better, croif, which yeah. is why I've renamed it. <laughs> you know, tap in behind the leg. Tap and play behind. Croif. Sucker you know, croif. So I, it's a no-brainer. If you can imagine now, so 30, 40 phys ed Genius students. Genius of branding. <laughs> so I got 30 or 40 of my, my fellow phys ed students that are watching this happen, and everybody came unglued Because you went completely the wrong direction. I went completely the wrong direction. I think I'm still going in that direction, actually. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like I ran off the pitch, you know, and, and, uh, and so these guys are just you know, crying, laughing at me, you know, because I was frothing at the mouth, ready to just hack him, you know, and, but the ball went so far past me, you know, that I couldn't foul him because that would have been a red card. Yeah. You know, I'd have had to rugby tackle him to stop him <laughs> at that point in time, you know, and, and so, you know, and this is the power of, you know, the setup. You know, and it wasn't just him saying to me, I'm going to make a fool of you. It, you know, it was him giving me that little push, mm-hmm. making me mad, making me just fire back into him, at which point he rode away from my push, you know, and you know, when he landed with his nearest foot, because he tapped the ball away, he was in the perfect position because he had diagonaled the, ball, diagonaled the ball behind his body so I couldn't see it for a yard. You know, he was in the perfect position to do the Cruyff. I've never seen this done in world soccer. It's another one, you know, and it's got the setup and the prefake. And I actually used that later in my career when I was, you know, in my 30s playing men's A in Kansas City. Worked like a dream again and again and again, you know, because that was the one move I actually could do when I was a player was the Cruyff turn. So it was actually fairly simple to add that, you know, the extra, you know, setup and prefake into the Cruyff turn. And I could do that move easily. Could never do the Maradona, even just the Maradona turn. Never do that at the men's open level. You know, even though I trained probably thousands of kids to do it, I never got good enough at the move to actually do the Maradona. But the Cruyff... I could do it. Okay, so what's the action item for the audience, right? Like, like we have spent uh, quite a few minutes here really selling the value of a setup and a prefake related to a skill. Um, <clears throat> Andy, what's what's the takeaway? If I'm if I'm a coach listening, what do we want them? What what's their, what's their action item? What do we want them to do? Okay, so this is no. I was I was gonna say uh, just I think we should spend some time not just training the skills for the sake of training the skills, 
but training how to set up the skills and how to add the prefix to the skills because besides making it more effective, it will also teach the kids the situations when to do the skill because now they're controlling the narrative. They are the ones setting up that skill. So if they're setting up, the situation will be right because they're doing that way for that skill to work. So I think you're also teaching them when to use the skills, when you use the prefix, and it just increases the level of effectiveness and gives a chance for the players that are not as athletic and wouldn't have as much success you know maybe they're going against a bigger faster stronger player and they'll do a skill and you know will throw the defender off balance but that defender will be able to catch up and recover but with the prefix we'll throw them off just a few extra yards and give them the extra space to do it so that was excellent. Can I put some flesh on that skeleton? Sure. You know, it's a great you just, skeleton. You just you know, and that's a, yeah, a good skeleton. Flesh. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, there are five phases to a maestro move. Uh, and, and I'd like to point out each of these phases and describe the phases. But I'm going to do them in a very different manner because um, I'm going to relate, uh, you know, one of my epiphanies which was watching a David Copperfield magic trick in Vegas. You know, and so the, the magic trick involved a double-decker bus. And, um, and so I'm going to intertwine this with the five phases of the maestro move. Okay? So the first phase uh, that is the beginning phase. It's, it's what I call the bait, the hook, or the setup. Yep. You understand? So you're baiting the hook. Nice piece of juicy bait. That's what makes the catfish want to take the hook. So, so um, in the first phase, phase, it can be a simple change in direction. It can be a recognized move or something that or incorporates both. My daughter, Holly, often used the sole of the foot croif that I mentioned earlier that served this person. So the Vegas example is, you know, Vegas show, big double-decker bus on the stage. And as you file into the Vegas show... And you sit down, you know, and you, you know, you just look around the audience and you're taking everything in. And, and you notice, of course, that there's this huge, beautiful double-decker bus on the stage. You know, it, it, you know and it's, it's a London double-decker bus. And, you know, and so you're, you're a little bit intrigued by it. But, you know, only for five or ten seconds, you know, you look at it. But you internalize the fact that it's there. You know, and so, you know, and, and, and this is important because... What we've done is we've created an illusion of permanency. There's this massive article that's not going anywhere. That's obviously just a prop, you know. And, and so, so what happens is um, in phase two, and let's go back to, um, you know, what I'm calling phase two in the Maestro series. I'm calling phase two the pre-combat phase, you know. And, and so this is the illusion. This is the pre-fake. So now uh, in phase two... Um, let's go back to the double-decker bus. Um, we are providing a distraction. So the double-decker bus is there. And on the other side of the stage, all these performers come dancing on, and they've all got bright, co bright costumes, and they're having this massive party, and there's a lot of noise and craziness all the way across the other side of the stage. So now the audience starts focusing on the party, the craziness, and the audience has already said there's a double-decker bus, but that's no longer of prime interest. So they're kind of forgetting about it. Mm -hmm. And as they're forgetting about it, the lights dim on the double-decker bus side of the stage. Following me? Yep. So this is your 
illusion phase. The illusion is that where the dance and the party's going on, that's where the action is. You know, and so you completely blank out of people's mind the double-decker bus because the lights go down and all you can see is a pale shadow of the bus. But it doesn't matter because you're not even looking over there. And, but you still perceive the bus to be there. You know, you're just focusing on something different. So this is your setup phase you know, in, in the move as related to a magic trick. And then there's phase three in the move. And phase three in David Copperfield's trick uh, is the actual move. You know, so, so, you know, in, in, you know, and obviously phase two is the drag. Sure. You know, in the drag Maradona. So the bus is the, you know, the setup and, and, and you know, and, and that is taking the defender where you want them to go to open up the space you want to exploit. This, you know, the second soccer phase is the drag in the drag Maradona. Phase three is what we call the combat phase. Remember the, the, ne- the phase before was the pre-combat phase? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the actual move is the combat phase. And that's where you're probably going to make a bit of contact with your opponent. You know, in the Maradona, you might roll off of them a little bit. You know, there, there might be some contact. You know, and, you know, we might want to post up. You're not creating the space to exploit. You're exploiting the space you created. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so in phase three, you're doing the move, and you know, in in the um, in the Vegas example, the bus now sinks below the stage because it's on a hydraulic platform. Of course, the audience doesn't know that it's on a hydraulic platform. In their mind, it's a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. They're just not looking at it anymore. So the bus disappears in the dim, you know, gloom on that side of the stage. The bus sinks beneath the stage and in that move phase the cast dances over to where the bus was mm-hmm. so here you got the cast and they you know they're dancing over to where the bus was here's the interesting thing they dance right across that hydraulic platform that the bus was on the audience doesn't even remember the bus was there because they're completely distracted by this massive party that's going on and all the wonderful things that are happening in this party, like jugglers and people on stilts and, you know, all the stuff that's going on, they've completely forgotten that the bus actually existed. Yeah. So, that you know, that's phase three. And, and then in phase four, which I term the post-combat phase, you know, this is where in the game we're exiting on the strong foot and we're exploding away from the move so you have to come out on your strong foot because we've discussed this in other podcasts you know your strong foot is the margin of greatness and you can bend the ball into the top corner from 30 yards with a strong foot and have never done it in your whole career with a weak foot so we exit on the strong foot for that reason and you explode away from the move in order to leave the defender sucking your exhaust you know and so so you know this is that incredibly damaging phase you know you know which is um post combat you know and it's almost like a nuclear explosion mm-hmm. you know that post combat phase you know because that's when you get away that's when the damage is done mm-hmm. you know and and so in the vegas example um the um the this phase is where the bus is reappearing in the gloom that is now on the other side of the fa- stage where the party started, mm-hmm. you know, because now the party is on the other side of the stage. The stage has literally been split into two halves, one where there's gloom and doom and one where there's a party all the way through this, you know, and nobody sees the bus come up because it's in the shadows, in the dark, 
on the non-utilized side of the stage while the party is happening on the other side of the stage. You know, so the explosion is now, you know, in the soccer example, is now giving you the separation. And then, of course, the final part of the, you know, item number five is the shot or the pass. You know, and so, you know, this is that nuclear phase in the you know, the, the sequence as a soccer player where you're putting the ball in the back of net, you know, so this is where the bomb goes off, you know, and the other team realize they've really been had, you know. And, <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah, you know, then all the penetrating pass hits the forward on the run in behind the fullback, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's the final phase. And in this phase, the, the bus is now highlighted, you know, the lights go up around the bus and everybody dances around the bus, and everybody in the audience suddenly says, oh, crap, the bus was over there. <laughs> you know, and, you know, they're all looking at each other. How did that bus? How did, Copperfield's, you know, a magician. Wow. You know, you only just realized that. <laughs> you know, it's, and, you know I, I had to laugh because I flew into Vegas last year. And, as, and uh, I always do things a little bit differently. That's just the nature of my life. So instead of getting a taxi from McCarran Airport, you know, to the hotel, I walked it. You know, and I wanted to see the other side, the seamier side between the hotel and the strip. You know, and, and as I was walking, I couldn't help but be confronted with, for a huge section of my walk, David Copperfield's face. It's literally on the whole side of a massive hotel where he performs his acts on a daily basis. You know, so the whole time I was walking, I was looking at David Copperfield and I was laughing because I, I already had this theory you know, and, you know, I was confronted. It was always like it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. I was confronted with Copperfield as I was walking to my hotel and pulling my suitcase along behind me, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a marvelous trick because it utilizes all of the principles of magic, you know, in the drag Maradona and the other, the other moves the that, that we do, the maestro skills. They use this whole sequence and, and so, you know, uh, you, you, you really can't argue with it because we're now proving this works again and again and again, you know, and people that are skeptics, you know, I can send them a video of Holly doing hundreds of these darn moves and literally making defenders fall over, you know, so it's not like we haven't tested it and proven it and Holly's got average speed, you know, had she been fast, who knows, she could have been, she played on the futsal national team you know, small tight spaces where the speed wasn't important, you know, without ever having played football before she made that team, you know, which is just another story, which is just fantastic, you know, but, you know, and she, she didn't have the speed to make the full national team. She wasn't the athlete. She made it to, you know, region two outdoor regional camp, etc. but she didn't make it beyond that, you know, because she didn't have that foot speed, you know, but her skills with the ball were frighteningly deceptive, you know, and forced me to go deeper into the theory, you know, behind why she was so successful with that move, if that makes sense. Well, Andy, what Brazilian player is known as the wizard? Is this a joke? Does it matter? <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> the wizard. Ronaldinho. The most skillful player, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. Yeah. yeah. I th In I Brazil, people that. call him the wizard, Bruxo. And it's more of like a street ter street term for for wizard, and it's because that's how he played. You know, the no look pass, the 
all the things that he did before he embarrassed the defenders. You know, you see when he nutmegs defenders, he's literally dragging the defender one way to be able to put the ball between his legs. He His game was full of that, of illusion, and, you know, doing all things, looking one way and passing the other way, and just incredible. He was a master of that, and it's that's why Brazilians call him uh, the wizard. Not obviously knowing the maestro series theory and all that, but it's just that term, that's how he played. He was an illusionist on the field. He did all these things that made the defenders completely think he was doing something and he would do something completely different and he was incredibly fast athletic and had all the other attributes that made him incredible i remember watching the 2002 world cup in in a in a bar with guy newman the son of ron newman the you know the the famous outdoor and indoor coach uh and it was a bunch of brazilians that were friends of mine from when i used to run the the indoor facilities in kansas city uh, and before the game started, they said, have you watched Ronaldinho play? And I actually hadn't seen Ronaldinho until I watched him in that, in that final. And, uh, you know, he was an absolute, literally a wizard. You know, and, and, you know, he is, I think, the most skillful player ever to live. Yeah, you know, I agree. Pound for pound, I don't see anybody else that holds a candle to his skills. You know, all the way around, the things he can do with the ball in so many different ways <sighs> is just outstanding. Um, as uh, we're going to be wrapping up soon. Um, so as we go toward it, and I know you're going to share that, I really want to highlight the takeaway that, that, that Philippe pointed out, which is from a coaching perspective, as you're listening to this, don't be like we were at the beginning, which is, I'm just going to teach the skills to teach the skills, teach the skills, thinking specifically related to a setup and a prefake. And we have the Maestro series, which is a series of videos that goes through all of the skills in in, in minute detail. Um, reach out to Philippe, Andy, or I, and uh, we can help you get access to those. So. And, and one thing I wanted to introduce here is you know, my oldest daughter is an actress, and you know she qualified in acting out of out of KU, Kansas University. And she was part of an improv troupe, which opened my eyes to the value of improv, which is great confidence builder, you know, essential to to acting, but. The reason I'm bringing up improv is that nobody improvs a major motion movie. You know, know, if you look at Top Gun, none of it is improv. It's all scripted, you know, and the actor plays a part. Now, of course, the actor brings their own special individual personality. You know, Tom Cruise in Top Gun 2, you know, brings his personality to 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 the arena and he does a fantastic job. You got incredible reviews from just about every movie critic, you know, and so you know, and the difference between um, improvisation and rehearsed is massive, though, because it's the the rehearsed acting that gets the big bucks, you know. In the movie theaters, those stars are the ones that are multimillionaires, you know, and that's where you know the the, the rubber meets the road. You know, improv artists, you know, they you know they they're appearing in some smoky nightclub, you know. It, it's you know so improvisation is what we've done for years with the moves. Rehearsed is what we're talking about now, and this is where the rubber meets the road, you know. And if if we are going to um, translate uh, this into superstars that can totally dictate to a defender, you know, what they want the defender to do before beating them and sticking the ball in the net. We, we've got to understand this, this crucial difference 
is so far, even Ronaldinho, the wizard, was an improv artist. He made it up as he went along. Can you imagine if somebody had trained him with his skills to do a setup and a prefake? You know, and he, he, he did certain things that you know, were somewhat like setups and prefakes just as part of his general way of playing. But I don't think he ever conceptualized that that was what he was doing. It was just natural. It, it was just, well, it was just learned over time of being, you know, in tight spaces in the streets and with his, with his brothers who both played uh, in professional soccer and his dad played professional soccer. So he grew up in that environment in Sao Paulo, am I right in thinking? No, he's from the south, okay. Porto Alegre. Okay, and, uh, and you know, he grew up doing that, you know, in, in his initial environment. And so, you know, he internalized some little pieces of this but he didn't study it and actually practice doing setups and prefakes. And of course, if we really know what we're doing and re we really practice to a very intelligently created script, mm -hmm. we can be much more powerful. Yeah, yeah. D does that make sense? Yeah, it's focused practice. I mean, it's really focused, narrowed thought related to what's going to create the best um, experience. Andy, last bit before we uh, break off. Well, there's two things. And one, one thing I wanted to deal with is if you're a player and you want a college scholarship, if you're a player and you want to get onto a national team, you know, it's, this is a guaranteed, guaranteed way to get in the shop window. Our club has traditionally been the club in Kansas City whose individual players have gone to the highest level, whether that be um, a, a national team, whether that be professional play, whether that be a Division I college. You know, our club has produced more of these players. In fact, Peter Vermees, who actually heads up our biggest competitor, uh, way bigger than we are, gives us credit and did in a meeting of all the major coaches, managers in the community of a whole bunch of different clubs, you know, and he said the Kansas, Legends, the Kansas City Legends have on, on their own prepared more players that have gone pro than all of the rest of the clubs together in Kansas City history. So one club, our club, has been that club. So, you know, that, that's a great reference, right? And, and so, you know, what we've got to realize is that... Um, we prepare players to stand out in the tryout scenario. In fact, your year in high school at the Arrowhead you know, All-Star game for high schools, there were 36 players, two squads of 18 playing against each other from every high school in the city. 24 of those players were ours. And dare I say it, probably the best 18 were ours, you know, out of the whole 36 players. You know, so you know, this is something that has a significant history. This was even before we learned about setups and prefakes, mm -hmm. you know, so we are now, you know, just starting our new journey. So we've already reached the moon, you know, in terms of Kansas City soccer, you know, and we're now starting our, our new journey to, to Mars, you know, or maybe to another galaxy, you know. And so this is how our current approach is so much better and so different from anything we've already had massive success with. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. and our, our players are having tremendous success individually. You see JC Hackler going to the uh, national team camp, I mean full national team camp for U15, Daniel going to England for the national ID2 uh, team. Yeah, it's big and, stuff. And uh, Genevieve Hull with the national ODP as well. I mean, we just left and right, many players reaching that level, so... It's all because of those major updates that Andy does in the philosophy. 
and, you know, I'm sure there will be more to come, and we're always excited to see them. Andy, wrap it up for us. Put a bow well, on a, it. A, a bit of a funny aside is um, that part of this is is associated with, um, you know, a, a very, uh, an ancient human condition, you know, which is, uh, it's been called the fight or flight response. You know, it's been uh, called maybe the panic attack response. And so I'd like to use my wife as an example of the panic attack <laughs> response. <laughs> because going to be good, I'm sure. Well, so, uh, wonderful woman, you know, great empathy, love, etc. all these things, you know, and, you know, is, is an emergency room nurse and has been... Uh, across all aspects of, of emergency room nursing, including a long stretch in a children's hospital, but in general hospitals as well. And she's back in general hospital emergency room nursing now. And, uh, and, and uh, she was telling me one time about a, a patient that came in, you know, and um, had both his arms blown off with a shotgun. So... The, the guy's literally got stumps, you know, from just below the shoulder, both arms, because he used his arms to shield his chest. So the only reason he's alive is he put his arms across his chest to shield his chest. And, and she's describing this situation, and she said it was awesome. You know, just, you know, we, you know, we saved his life, you know, we got everything done, you know, we did this, this, and this, et cetera. You know, and, and I look at her and I say, so let me get this straight. You know, it was awesome dealing with the guys who had both arms blown off with a shotgun. Uh, you see a half-inch spider and you freak out. <laughs> she's, she, she is the victim of the, and it's genuine. She is genuine fear, you know, and, and she comes running up the stairs and, and she's like, there's a six-inch spider in the basement. <laughs> I'm going down there looking for this behemoth spider. And there's this little thing scurrying away from me into the corner, frightened to death of me. You know, and, and she, she has the equivalent of a panic attack, you know, when she sees a tiny little spider, you know. And so this is what you do. When you do a pre-fake and you do a setup, a setup and a pre-fake, you give the defender a panic attack. You know, and, and they scramble and drop their shoulders and lean forward and go for it to get goal side again because they can see that you've opened up a window of light to get in goal side of them. And so they panic and go exactly where you want them to go. And, and it's, it's, it's just amazing. And here's the science behind this. Uh, and I, I, I prepared this to read. Humans have two types of attention, top down and bottom up. Top down relates to intentional acts of attention. It is the process involved in reading a book or cleaning out the garage. You decide you're going to focus your attention on something and then you do. Bottom up happens when you are compelled to focus on something like a loud noise or flashing light. You're reading a book when the doorbell rings and you're pulled out of the story. You shifted from top down to bottom up. At any given time, you can really only focus on one thing. Even if you think you're paying attention to multiple things at once, you aren't. You're switching from one to the other. It's why you can read entire pages of your book without retaining anything, or why you might get distracted on your way to the kitchen and forget why you got up in the first place. As I get older, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> Magicians take advantage of this gap in our cognitive abilities to direct our attention in one direction while pulling off the trick just out of frame. They also rely on our expectations and their ability to subvert them. 
When a performer vanishes a coin by pretending to move it from one hand to another, they do so by mimicking the movements we would expect during the real thing. Your brain is hardwired for pattern seeking. You've seen someone pass an object from one hand to another or from one hand to their pocket more times than you can remember. When you see those movements again, you expect the outcome you've experienced every other time. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and that's what we're dealing with here. The Maestro Move series, you know, makes people, you know, see what they expect and react to counter what they expect to have happened. Even to the degree they actually see an illusion. They see the ball traveling further than it did. And so they take that fatal hip turn in step in the wrong direction that gives the deceptive dribbler yards of separation. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's a game changer. Well, Philippe. I didn't get to all this. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really long piece of paper. There's so much more to this than meets the eye. Yeah. And when you start looking into illusions and magic and how you can apply them to, you know, the pressure, the key moments, you know, where you're one-on-one, and if you beat a player, you've got a goal-scoring opportunity. Yep. And, and when you do that, that's where the magic happens. And if you don't believe that your attention could be subverted, I want you to go to YouTube, and I want you to dial in Basketball passing and bear into the search engine in YouTube. And you'll come up with a clip of a bunch of people that are passing a basketball around. And they're asked to think about the number of passes that they take. And that's the only clue I'm going to give you. I want you to watch the video. And then at the end of the video, you will get what I'm talking about. Because we see one thing at a time when we're focused on it. And if you go to YouTube and, and dial in bear and basketball and passing, you know, you will see this, this older video, you know, that is just shocking, you know, when you, you do what is asked on the video and you realize how much you've missed. And Andy letting on about his age a little bit when he talks about the internet and dialing in. <laughs> um, Philippe, Andy, another great episode. Until next time, guys. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.